murder lovers this is patina this is brie and you're listening to stranger danger a true crime podcast welcome back talking about tiktok yeah yeah <laughs> um we're kind of like tiktok famous now <laughs> check on um, my box yes <laughs> absolutely uh to everyone if you're new here welcome thank you for listening and watching the video we have a video that i think is a bona fide viral video at this point we're refreshing obsessively to get to see when it gets to three million which is nuts. This is um, three million. Like three that's million views. When you texted me, you're like, <gasps> we're, we're going like, I don't know. I don't know the terms, guys. I'm not a cool right. kid. Same, same. He's like, we're going mini viral or yeah. something like that. 11,000 views. I'm yeah. like, and that was good. That was good. I was like, oh shit, that's more than a thousand people yeah. viewing this. Um, and then, then it, overnight. Literally, when I woke up and I refreshed it, it went to like a million. I was like, holy moly, that is wild. And so many new followers on there as well. So welcome. If it found if you found your way over here to the podcast, thank you for coming over. This was about the case that we covered about Sarah Boone and her putting her boyfriend into the suitcase. Mm-hmm. So lots of mixed emotions on the comments. Lots of mixed emotions. I I mean, not faulting anybody, but I was kind of surprised at how many people were like, yeah, go her. Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was like. Oh, let's wait till we're recording to talk about this. Because the last one was, I'm on her side. And I was like... What? Like, damn. Did, did you watch the same video I did? It's crazy. I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, not the, my situation, the, the not my place. Is, you know, and, and I know that we didn't touch on this too much while we did the we recorded the case and we talked about it. Is that there is an obvious underlying issue of DV, right between them? A hundred percent. Yeah. And in the video, she says two things, which is that is how he feels when you cheat on me. And that is how it feels when you choke me. Right. So a lot of people who are watching this video, at least that small snippet of it, they maybe, I don't know if they don't know the whole story, but they say that's what he deserves. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's because they probably feel that it came as a passion crime after a DV instance. Sure. And I don't think that was the case. I don't, I don't think it was either, but you know, I can say without a doubt, I can't fault anybody who has, you know, lived that life and experienced that kind of abuse to, you know, watch a video like that and kind of be like, you know, hats off to you, you know, um, but there's a lot to unpack on that. There's a A so many layers. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's. So as far as the day that he perished from being in that suitcase, it was not, as far as we know, and and here's the interesting part, right? Trial still hasn't happened for exactly. this. But this damning video is out for the world to see. So we are, I I feel like we know what we need to know at this case mm-hmm. in, in regards to like making a decision. 
But we still don't know. There could be stuff that comes out. Yeah. There, I mean, there could be so much stuff that we don't know. Yeah. Aspects of where her mental state was at at that point. Right. I mean, we obviously know she was intoxicated, but right. unpacking, you know, more of what comes. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we seen where people will change their their standing on the whole trial and will say it was self-defense? Or right. it was, you know, a, like I said, a passion crime or it was a reaction to something that happened earlier in the evening. So we don't know what her defense is going to say. Mm-hmm. They could very well come out and say it was self-defense. I don't know who would buy it. Right. And uh, one of the biggest questions that I've seen on the video over and over is how did he even get in there? Right. Right. So... What I what we do know, and and I said this on a follow-up video, is that we'll only ever know her side of the story. And she said they were playing hide-and-seek. She, They both decided that he was going to hide in there while she went and hid mm-hmm. for, them, for him to then come out of the suitcase and go find her. So he didn't go into the suitcase alone. We know she zipped up the suitcase. Right. The suitcase. The suitcase. <laughs> a lot of Zs there. <laughs> That she zipped it up and at one point said that she left enough for him to, like, get his fingers in there and unzip it. Right. Based on the video, that's not true. Because he would have, I mean, the the video Pressure. itself, what you guys don't see is 11 minutes long. Right. And so within that 11 minutes, had he had the ability to get out of the suitcase, right. one would assume that he would have done that and not. If he's saying he can't breathe like game's over. Yeah. I'm gonna get myself out. Yeah. And that obviously didn't happen. Right. So. We'll see. We'll see. I'm I mean, November seventh, it'll be right around the corner. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll be watching. A hundred percent. We'll be watching that trial to see what happens. And I'm really curious to see if the defense is going to do, you know, hands up, we know what it is. Let's just hope it's not you know, life without the possibility of parole. Maybe they're just shooting for parole at this point. Right. Or if they're going to come up with some cockamamie story about how it's something different than what we think happened already. Mm-hmm. So court is always fun. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird <laughs> to say, but I like court proceedings. So looking forward to that. It can totally change your perspective. Like you said, yeah. what ends up coming out, you think you go into it thinking yeah. you feel one way and then the evidence gets laid in front of you and you're like, damn. And I can't imagine being the jury on this case either because they are going to have to pick people who have not hopefully seen the video, mm-hmm. who do not have a prejudice of what they think happened already. Right. And it's, I think, highly publicized case as it is already even without it going to trial already because they released the videos of the body cam of the detective showing up mm-hmm. the 911 call the videos that were on her phone like what else is there to see right so i think it's going to be hard to find a whole jury of people that haven't seen that haven't formed a, a decision already well and especially from that area right too you mm-hmm. know because i mean i haven't i hadn't heard of it until you covered it and not that i like watched the news but i haven't seen any like national news right coverage on it but right. yes to find a jury that hasn't in some way been exposed to some aspect of it 
in where they live could be difficult i think will be difficult and but also there's florida so it, <laughs> it could be that they're just kind of used to shit like that <laughs> like just another tuesday they're like oh wait <laughs> <laughs> damn it sarah what's gonna happen today oh my goodness all right so who's going today first i can do my case first because i Actually, kind of feel like what we were talking about in uh, was this a self defense or not could kind of play into my story a little bit, little tidbit there. So, the story that I found is about Philip Taylor. Never heard of that. I don't think it's a widely known (laughs) case. Philip's a common first name, Taylor's a common last name, but the two together, yeah, I hadn't ever heard of this case. As I like to do, just a little bit of background on. Philip Taylor. Um, he was born in 1966 and was raised in Florida. God damn it, Florida. Appropriately. <laughs> this is our third Florida case in a row. Totally not intentional. We're just going to change this to Stranger Florida. That's it. I'm going to start Googling crimes that did not happen yeah, in Florida. Right. The list is going to be very small. Um, but yeah, he, he was raised in Florida. He was really close with his siblings. I think he had a brother and a sister, but beyond that, I don't really know the extent of his family. One thing that really impacted Philip at his young age, which my heart just always breaks for kids that have this situation when they lose a parent, when they're When they're really young. So he lost his dad when he was really young. I don't know what age, but, you know, obviously that had a big impact on his life, especially a boy losing a father figure. I feel like that is a little extra tough. But Philip really excelled as a teen. He developed a love for cars and um, being learning, you know, being a mechanic and was just really, really, really interested in that to the point where he actually dropped out of high school. Oh, to I mean, pursue a his passion. Is good, though. It's so good. God, I wish I knew that before I went to college. <laughs> well, and they have classes in high school now, too, yeah. where they're like fast tracking these kids on trade programs, yeah. which is so, so smart. And a mechanic of all things. Always have a mechanic friend. <laughs> it, exactly. That shit yeah. is not cheap. But uh, he actually ended up getting a job with Ford at like a dealership or something oh, nice. like that. So he learned all of his training yeah. underneath, you know, this international is Ford International, at least nationwide yeah, for sure. National car company. And then in his 20s, he ended up moving away from Florida and he moved to the Ozarks of Missouri. So oh. what is that? Just kind of northwest. Yeah. Of Florida. And for those of you that have never been to Missouri, just quick little tangent. Missouri is freaking beautiful. Yeah, it is. My best friend lived there. Her husband was, he's in the army and he was stationed there for a little bit. We went and visited and I had completely made up in my mind something totally different. (laughs) And it's like almost tropical. Like it's so green. And I I mean. I think you guys went in the summer I went we did. for Megan's graduation in January, and it was cold. Yeah, it was cold. Yeah, there was some snow still, but yeah, yeah, so beautiful there. So he moved into the Ozarks area, and while he was there, he met this really sweet, down to earth single mom. Her name was Melina. I found uh, Melina Aldridge, and then also she was known as Melina Cooley. I'm not sure what was up with the double last name. But she was a waitress at a spot near where he worked at a mechanic shop, and 
he came in and was her customer and they kind of hit it off. And so had a really cute meeting that way. In 1994, they ended up marrying Melina, you know, as a single mom, had a three-year-old daughter named Ashley, and a year later, they had their own daughter, Shelby, and Phil was just another one of those doting dads, like, really took to Ashley as his stepdaughter, of course, with Shelby, and he was described as a, you know, great, active, hardworking dad. You know, they'd go on quads and go fishing and oh, just nice. like that really super cute, yeah. like father-daughter relationship, which I relate with because I went fishing with my dad all right, the time same. when I was young. It was so much fun. Cheetos and peanut butter and jelly and <laughs> out fishing. I can like, I can That's taste, funny. I can That's taste awesome. the experience. So fun. But, you know, even though Melina and Phil had a good relationship to start and he was, you know, this doting father, he kind of started to hit this period where, I don't know, maybe family life was getting to him. He maybe Mm. thought he was felt like he was losing his freedom a little bit. And so he started partying a lot and partying with a younger crowd. He was like 27 at the time. So not that he was old, but he was hanging out with people that were quite a bit younger like just able to get beer <laughs> pretty much yeah. yeah so i'm like a uh, quarter life crisis maybe yeah. question mark and during this time he ended up meeting a young lady named april quick april was 17 at the time oh damn he's around 27 so a 10 year difference which as you get older isn't a big age gap but 17 to 17 still to young. mid to late 20s is a yeah. is a pretty big uh, maturity gap I'll say at that time um Ashley or I'm sorry not Ashley April had a really really big crush on Phil she was actively mm. pursuing him his Ugh. feelings soon followed and you know that whole puppy love yeah, love sick affair stage, yeah, yeah he's you know kind of going through this thing where he's you know kind of over being not over being a family man but he's he doesn't he's, want that responsibility yeah, yeah. so their full-blown love affair got even more intense he even got her her own place to live oh damn He's yeah, serious. so he was kind of sugar daddy, yeah. side chick, and but he soon fell in love with her, and their love affair continued for like a year and a half. Oh, and wow. Melina knew that there was something going on, kind of found out about you know more of the details. And in 1998, she filed for divorce. She had had enough. She was like, I can't do this to my daughters. Yeah, this is I'm over it. The partying, the affair, that's it. So after they divorced, Phil and April ended up moving back to Florida and Phil just kind of like up and left his family. Oh, wow. Behind. That's a choice. Just took off. So, yeah, he's not really like looking like the most awesome dude. Yeah. This moment. Um, as the wife, I would be pretty pissed, but, Absolutely. you know. And as a kid, I'd be really bummed. Yeah. Especially with him, like. Losing a parent so young, you'd think you didn't want to repeat the cycle, but exactly that's my opinion. Yeah, for sure. So after they moved to Florida, April became pregnant really, really soon after they moved, and she was only 18 at the time. Oh. Soon after baby number one came baby number two. Damn. And 
Phil once again struggled to switch from this partying lifestyle that him Mm. and April were living, now being expected to be this family guy. Right, back to where he was. Again, so... He was really having this struggle, and his substance abuse just increased even more. He was a full-blown alcoholic by this time. In 2001, he was heavily into drugs and alcohol, so it went just from drinking to doing drugs. drugs. I don't know which drugs, but um, nonetheless, they all went hand in hand. And he even had to have a major surgery from his substance abuse that almost killed him. Oh, wow. And I don't know if that was to speak to, like, the surgery itself almost took his life because it was so major. Or if his substance abuse had gotten so bad that it almost took his life. Therefore, he had to have this major surgery. Okay. But at that point in time, I think April was kind of like, we got to get out of Florida. Like we need to, we need to get you help. And so they ended up moving back to Missouri where they had family and Phil did go into rehab. Oh, okay. For a period of time. Um, when he got out, they moved in with April's parents and they had baby number three. Damn. So fresh out of rehab, third baby, they did end up getting their own place and he was back to drugs and alcohol. Oh, wow. Soon after that. And yeah, it's just such it's just such a sad struggle to see. Um, I mean, I have addiction that runs in my family and watching people be absent parents and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I think it's so it's so hard for people. I mean, I don't even fully understand it, even from watching it in my life. Yeah. But, you know, People just say, like, aren't your kids enough to get clean? Aren't your kids enough of a reason to get sober? And unfortunately, it's just not that simple. It really isn't. It's such addiction to drugs and alcohol is just such a Mm deep-rooted disease. And it's it's just sad to see, you know, when it starts affecting. More than just you. More than just you. Your family and, you know, to put kids through that. But yeah, so he, he got back into, you know, the pit of drugs and alcohol and he moved himself back to Florida. So again, kind of up and left, he does this back and forth thing, Florida to Missouri a number of times. So he kind of up and left his family again, this time April, and now they're three kids and moves back to Florida and by 2007, he had spiraled so out of control, he wasn't paying his child support, and that landed him in prison. But oh, this yeah. was... That'll do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's bound to catch up with you at some point. But this ended up kind of being a blessing in disguise because being in jail completely dried him up, and he was motivated to completely straighten his life out and not be that person anymore. Good. Which... Yeah. Kind of the purpose of jail sometimes, right? Exactly. And unfortunately, it doesn't always happen that way because we know that, you know, there's ways to make alcohol in jail. There's still (laughs) ways to get drugs in jail. I mean, I don't know from firsthand experience, but, you know. I'm just laughing. Locked up. We were talking about homemade hooch last last night. (laughs) (laughs) Some jail wine. Hey. But no, there, there is ways that you could relapse or just not, you know, find any door out of that situation but sometimes and the ideal way for jail or or prison to work is that it's going to correct you it's going to 
it's a correctional facility. Exactly. Right? So I'm okay. So he unfortunately for him, it, it wor- worked. It worked yeah. in in that regard. Kind of scared him straight. Exactly. So once again, Phil moves from Florida back to Missouri. He makes contact with Melina and April, vowing, you know, I'm I'm sober. I'm back. I'm going to be the dad that I need to be to these five kids, four of them being his own. He still wanted to have a relationship with Ashley because, you know, ex-stepdaughter, still a half-sister to his daughter. Um, So he really wanted to turn his life around and be that person. And he was really on the path for that. He was very focused on work. He had started his own auto repair business. So got back into... Forgot he did that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there was so much moving happening. How could you remember? So many drugs and... (laughs) Hope you didn't fix your brakes during that time. But yeah, super cool that he started his own repair business. Um, he was going to church. He began paying child support back to the two women. And he lived in a trailer on his friend Marvin's property. And we'll talk about Marvin a little bit later. And had even been approved for a home loan. Oh, nice. Like he was really... That's a lot of good things in a row. He was making the yeah. ideal flip. And yeah. Melina welcomed him back into their daughter's lives with open arms. Oh, good. I mean, that's the situation that you hope for, for your kid's father. Right. If they've gone down a path like that, yeah. you know, of course you want them to have that relationship. And he, uh, he, he did that. He was really proving himself. So he, he was definitely on the path there, but unfortunately things don't keep, um, going Phil's way. Oh, no, on September 10th at 2 or sorry on September 10th 2010 at 10:30 p.m. a call comes into the Douglas County Police Department reporting that a body has been found in the road at a rural park. Oh, shit. That just took a fucking dive. <laughs> yep, just going straight into yeah. it. So the police arrive a few minutes later. A man is face down in the road in a pool of blood. The body is still warm. Oh, wow. So this crime had, like, just just happened. And they could tell right away that the body had a gunshot wound to the left temple and multiple stab wounds on the body. Damn. They first noticed a wallet sitting in between the legs with blood transferred onto it. So it it looked like a robbery. Like there was money, there wasn't any cash in the wallet or anything like that. So, you know, why else would a wallet be taken out of someone's pocket and have blood transferred on it? And then, of course, in the wallet, they got the ID and saw that he was from the neighboring county, Wright County. And so they called the sheriff in Wright County. These are small towns, you guys, like super, super. mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the type of small towns where everybody knows everybody. So the sheriff from Wright County comes down and confirms the identity of Philip Taylor. Oh, damn. So, I mean, it was his name on his ID, and they get an instant, you know, identification from from the sheriff. (laughs) I know. Poor Phil. But... Um, right away they could tell with Phil's injuries. Again, he had a gunshot to the left temple, stab wounds to the back of his head, oh. his chest, elbow, and forearms. Oh, jeez. 
So a pretty horrendous uh, scene for one to stumble upon in the middle of the night. Yeah. Confusing because like the back of the head, Mm -hmm. the elbow seems defensive, but. Right. So this this leads them to believe, speaking of that, that he was stabbed first in an attempt to incapacitate him. Oh. And then he was shot. Yeah. Uh, the gunshot they could tell was at very close range from like powder residue yeah. and like stipling and stuff like that. So, with that, given the aggressive nature of the scene, they're like, most of the time when a scene looks this aggressive, it's got to be something personal. Yeah. This wasn't just uh, kids waiting around in a park to rob somebody. Situation. Situation. Right. Somebody random. You know, they're like, this has got to be something personal. They do rule out the two pe- the two people that called in the 911 call. They were just, like, driving, passing through Missouri in the middle of the night. And I'm kind of like, damn, who stops at, like, a rural park at 1030 at night in the yeah. in pitch black? So, to me, I would have been, like, maybe That's a little suspicious. bit more suspicious. But they rule them out. They didn't really have anything to hold them on. And so, you know, they're checking out the crime scene. All they really have to go off of is how they're, they found Phil's body, but they did find one crucial clue left behind, and it was a 22 caliber brass bullet. So they knew right away that they were dealing with a semi-automatic weapon. And for anyone that doesn't know what a semi-automatic weapon is, that means it's self-loading. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a shotgun that you have to continuously you know put rounds in every time it shoots but beyond that there was no evidence this is a super rural park there's no surveillance cameras there there's no nothing so they have the body and they have this bullet yeah and that's all they really have to go off of at this point tiny Mm -hmm. 22 is tiny and skinny it's not right you know regular what you would imagine a bullet cut that in half like exactly. It's, it's really small. It's small. Yeah. yeah. So early the next morning, you know, police are like, we got to, you know, track down more information, obviously. So they head directly to Phil's mechanic shop. Okay. And they go there and they end up talking to his friend, Marvin Elliott, who I mentioned earlier, because Phil lives on his property and his, his okay. trailer. And Marvin, Marvin is not only a friend, but he's also the landlord. So he like hmm. owns this shop that Phil rents a portion out oh, of to okay. do his mechanic work. And I think Marvin did like similar work as well in the mechanic field. So they obviously became good friends because of that. But, you know, the the cops are talking to Marvin and he says, you know, Phil has had his share of struggles, you know, drugs and alcohol, told him a little bit about his history, but that he was committed at this point in time to two things. And that was his family and sobriety. You know, he's a good guy. He's made all these changes in his life. He tells him that he last saw Phil the night before at around 6 p.m. when he left the shop. Okay. So Marvin saw him at 6 p.m., 911 call comes in at 10:30 of the 10th of the 10th. Okay. Um he does share that Phil was kind of a ladies man. <laughs> and he always had a girlfriend, always okay. had a lady on his side. So evidently Phil had just recently met someone online after oh, returning no. to Missouri. 
but it wasn't anything serious. Had like just kind of met this lady. Her name yeah. was Tammy. But Tammy was still married at oh, the time Tammy. and going through a divorce. So going through a separation. Oh, she was going, okay, okay. Yeah, she, yeah, she wasn't like, you know, on the prowl still with a ring on her finger. <laughs> but still married. Right. Nonetheless. And there was a rumor going around that her and Phil had gone on a date to the river one day. They had ran into an ex-girlfriend of Phil's and this ex-girlfriend and Tammy had like had words at the river. And it sounds like Phil has a lot of lady drama in his life. So, yeah, they ended up having an exchange of words, allegedly. Um, and so this just kind of seems to be like a repeated common theme in his life, this relationship drama. And at this time, the police are asking themselves, okay, was this a new relationship right. that went south really quickly? Like, is this, this is obviously someone that we need to track down and question. Yeah. And this could lead to a motive, you know? So, and in my mind, too, I would have been thinking the husband she was divorcing. Okay, I was thinking that, too. Like, Tammy's husband. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not that it necessarily would have been her, but I would have been thinking about him. So, they still got to do a little bit more digging to, to narrow things in until they can track down Tammy. So... They go to Phil's trailer and Marvin, you know, is like, no problem. You can totally search his trailer, okay. look for whatever you need. It's on Marvin's property. So he's got, I'm sure, the legal ability sure, to say like, you can search mm-hmm. this. Um, and while they're doing their search, they find an empty cell phone box, but no phone. Oh, okay. Like and- a burner phone type of thing? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And at the crime scene, there wasn't any cell phone to be found. Right. So they, you know, check all their boxes and get what they need to to get the the number to this cell phone that will give them limited limited ability to be able to, like, track it. Okay. At the very least. So they've got this phone. And then they also found a Post-it. I think it was, like, on his computer or on, like, a desk or something like that with Tammy's name on it and directions to her house. Oh. Like, handwritten stuff. So they've got those two pieces. And then they find a really crucial third piece of evidence, and it's a certified letter to April Quick. And it's dated for two days prior. So it's dated for September 8th. Okay. Two days before the murder. And with it was a letter to her from Phil saying he wanted to see his kids. He had been paying child support. He was doing all of these things right. And if she wasn't willing to let him back into the kids' lives, you know, he was going to take her to court. Oh, okay. And I'm sure he was probably feeling really treated unfairly because like Melina had no problem just like opening the door back up and being like, yeah, you know, you've done all these things in your life. Like, Come be with come be with your kids. And the door was obviously very much still closed from what it sounds like from April's standpoint. So now the police have two leads. So did he send the letter? He sent the letter. So it was a copy of Mm -hmm. it? Okay. Okay. Yep. And yeah, and we'll kind of unravel that a little bit more as we go through. But the police are like, okay, now we have kind of pretty two good solid leads. 
We have the new girlfriend who we don't really know what the heck's going on there. It sounds like rumors are flying and she was going through a divorce. And now we have the mom, ex-wife, the ex-wife of kids, ex-girlfriend. I don't think him and April didn't ever get married, married, but you know, baby mama, baby mama of three kids of three kids. (laughs) Yeah. And so in the meantime, you know, the police do their due diligence of contacting Melina to give her the news that they found Phil murdered, his first wife. Yeah. Um, she talks to them and is like, we had a good relationship. He was currently seeing their daughter, you know, like yeah. everything was going great. She had nothing bad to say, but she did say that Phil had disclosed to her that April had been less willing to do the same of letting him back into the kids life their yeah. life hence the letter that had gone out so the police are like okay this is great information you know we're gathering more and more so now they need to go on their search to talk to tammy and to talk to april so they head towards tammy's direction first and the women live in opposite directions of where <laughs> they are both about an hour distance okay from from the scene of the crime Different area codes. Different area codes, yeah. <laughs> we all know the song. <laughs> so the police start to head north to Marshville, Missouri, which is about 40 miles north. And on their way up there, they receive a phone call that Phil's phone is still on. Oh. And it's hitting towers tracking south towards Arkansas. So in their mind at this point, they're like, whoever has this phone was probably involved. Oh, yeah. Was why else in or about that in area. or about that area, <laughs> and it's pinging off of towers, showing that it's it's moving. It's moving. So they're like, "You turn, yeah. we're heading to Arkansas. Yeah. We're going towards the phone." And so they head towards Mountain Home, Arkansas. Conveniently enough, where April <gasps> lives. No, and April. S- April. And so they instantly put out a bolo on April while they're making their way down there. Some officers do end up getting a hold of Tammy in the meantime while they're making their way down there. And she totally comes into the police station voluntarily, like happy to come in. She, you know, is like, rule me out. Rule rule (laughs) me out. My hands are clean (laughs) of this dirt. Um, you know, she's like, our relationship was new, but it was really good. She's, seemed visibly upset by the news that he had been found murdered. She even tells them that they had plans for the following weekend to like meet up and hang out and that she had been trying to contact him and wasn't able to hearing back, you know, in this very short time period. And she she gives the police some alibi and they totally clear her of having anything to do with being there that night. Good job, Tammy. Yeah, so Tammy, Tammy's looking good. She's made herself off the suspect list at this point. So now we're going to get into some really, really good stuff. Phil's phone records, so they've got his phone, and they're able to now start pulling, like, incoming call records from it on top of tracking it. And the records show two incoming calls around 9.30 p.m. on September 10th. From an Arkansas phone number. Oh, April. And I just want to bring up again, and I'll bring this up again later. These two calls came in at 9.30 p.m. Uh-huh. 
and the 911 call came in at 10.30. Okay. So, you know, they've got this only, like, hour time frame of these two incoming calls coming into Phil's phone around 9.30 and knowing that his body had been discovered and found around 10.30 at night. So a very, very short time period. The police got a search warrant for this Arkansas number, and it belonged to a track phone, which, like you said, is a burner phone, and it was bought at an Arkansas Walmart. So they go to this Walmart. And again, conveniently enough, it was minutes away from April's home. Oh, damn. The cops went to find who purchased the minutes for the phone. So it was one of those where, you know, you buy the phone and you purchase the minutes for it. And they worked with Walmart and they got the surveillance video. And what it showed was a short, stocky lady with short hair being the one to put the minutes on this phone. This lady was very obviously not April. Oh, okay. They had, I know you don't know what April looked like. You're like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) But they had like pulled like DMV records. So they had a picture of April. So they, they knew who they were looking for, like Like on this bolo and stuff like that. Yeah. And this lady did not meet the, the description at all. And so they get the surveillance video. They get a still from it. And they go to the Mountain Home Police Department in Arkansas, and they're showing it around. And one of the officers is like, oh, yeah, that's Amy Herring. Oh, I love these small towns. I know. (laughs) She makes the best sweet potato pies. She's just, (laughs) I know Amy. I went to high school with her mom. Her grandma used to have us over for Christmas. You know, yeah, totally. It is. That is the blessing about yeah. small towns. Really? Yeah. Your shit does not go hidden for very nope. long. So blessing and a curse. <laughs> but yeah, he's like, oh yeah, that's Amy Herring. Um, in fact, I was just called to her house where they reported some money, jewelry, and a 22 caliber pistol <laughs> stolen from the residence on Friday night. I don't think I really need to say this again, but same night that Phil was murdered. And the officer also knew that April and Amy were in a relationship. Oh, twist. Okay. Yes. Didn't see that coming. No, me. I could just only imagine like how comical and maybe not so comical because they're used to this small town living, but just like, yeah. Totally her. Yeah. I was just at this, uh, I was just at a call oh last night, God. and yeah, she's totally with this chick named April, and right. the, you know, the, uh, where are they from? Uh, the Douglas County Police Department's like, fuck well, yes, yeah. cha-ching, yes. thank you, oh just God. got a direct connection to her. Thank you, Walmart. Thank you, Walmart. <laughs> thank you, Arkansas. We appreciate you. <laughs> You know, so now the police are like, we got our girl. So on September 14th, this is only four days after the murder. That's quick. So quick. Like this all happens so like picture perfectly quick. It's it's very impressive. Um, April comes in voluntary for questioning and she's very eager to talk about their relationship. Mm. She says that when her and Phil first met, she had no idea that he was married at first. Hmm. I don't believe that. Yeah. Um, but that's her story. 
And then says that when they moved to Florida was when Phil became abusive. And the drugs and alcohol abuse got worse and he would beat her. She claims that he would hit her and shove her and that he also at one point had pushed her into a brick wall and fractured her hip. Damn. So she's making like some pretty like egregious allegations allegations Mm -hmm. of domestic violence in their relationship. And so she is, you know, telling them all of that. And then she talks about her three-year relationship with Amy and how they began, uh, began and how they began co-parenting um her three kids amy didn't have any kids so it was just the the three kids of april and she does admit that she got a first letter from phil Mm. one of those certified letters and she just kind of blew it off um i think she said i couldn't find the full interrogation video it was just like bits and pieces that were made available but she's kind of like you know he had just gotten out of jail he was on parole i assumed and just kind of blew it off and didn't maybe didn't really know if she wanted him to be a part of the kids lives at that point in time the time frame between when he got released to the letters being sent is not very long it's only about five months so you know she's probably feeling out the waters a little bit and then she got the second letter, but before she could respond, she learned of his murder. Which, wait, it was dated for two days before the murder, so... Okay. You maybe didn't have a whole lot of time to quote-unquote respond. Right. To that. Okay. I could understand that. 48 hours isn't sure. like... You want to take your time. An unreasonable amount of time to not have responded right. to something like that. Um, and then her alibi is that her and Amy went on a date night to a movie around 9 p.m. that night. It's always a movie. (laughs) And people have literally got to get better alibis than going to a movie. (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure we all said we were going to the movies when we were like in high school. And we never went to the movies. And we never, I don't think I saw a single movie in high school. Movies is a terrible alibi. It's a horrible, <laughs> horrible. But, you know, again, that's her story and she's sticking with it. And so they went to the movie around nine and they got home around midnight and discovered that their home had been broken into and says what they had reported stolen and kind of backs up that whole story of, you know, them having a cop come out that night. And I really liked some of the officers' interrogation tactics at this point because I don't really think that they you like yeah they had stuff on April at this point in time like circumstantial but they didn't really have like a ton of like hard evidence right. you know um but they don't let her know that they tell her Good. like hey we know you're lying <laughs> we have evidence stacked against you like we know that you're guilty for this crime and she immediately shuts that shit down. Oh, man. She's like, okay, this is where I stop talking. I'm lawyer. done. I'll get a lawyer. But then she is so stupid. You're just going to die. She's saying that she'll get a lawyer. And then on her way out of the interrogation room, she says, well, I'll say nothing was premeditated. Oh, you stupid. <laughs> 
I'm like, what is in the water in Arkansas that would make you feel the need to... Excuse me, ma'am, you just dropped your defense. So (laughs) innocently say on your way out of the interrogation, interrogation room... Well, I'll say nothing was premeditated. Um, okay, no, you can just go ahead and sit um, your we'll, ass back yeah. down now. <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll, we'll wait for again. your lawyer. Yeah. Amy at the time also was being interrogated and also requested an attorney, but both the women were held and charged at that point with Phil's oh, murder. A hundred percent. I'll say this. <laughs> you know what? You know. <laughs> I or may or may not have been in a rural park at Okay, so so did Amy say anything? She didn't say anything. She didn't say anything. I think she went in and was just instantly like... Tight-lipped, yeah. I would like a lawyer. As you should in that situation. Exactly. But um, I wish she would have said something. And I think April just got so loose-lipped because she just wanted to like... Really just tell him all the shit that she hated about Phil. Yeah. Pretty much. And nah, we'll get into that a little okay. bit later. All right. So the two women are being held in charge with Phil's murder and the police go and search April and Amy's home at this point in time. Mm-hmm. While doing their search, they locate burned items in a bag in the backyard. Textbook. What is going on Textbook. here, women? Come on. They literally don't know what they're doing. No. And it's fine. <laughs> but it's not premeditated. But it's not premeditated. I'll tell you that. We know that for a fact. Yeah. Record show. Um, in that bag in the backyard, they find a cell phone that was completely burned beyond recognition, so they couldn't verify if it was the phone on the box that they had oh. found in Phil's trailer or anything like that. They also found um, some burned clothing and a knife. Okay. I just eye roll like <laughs> yes. insert eye roll. Yep. That's what the pause is. And of course they're going to go and check their alibi. And what do you know? The surveillance footage shows that they were never at the movies. Wouldn't you know it? God, at least walk in, at least walk in, get some popcorn and find, I don't know. I guess they got surveillance cameras everywhere, but I'm like, at least find an emergency exit. that. Right. Or, I don't know, change your clothes and exit wearing something else so they don't know that you left. Anyways, the surveillance footage showed that they weren't there, which we're not surprised about. And so very soon after that, April's ready to talk. Mm. So she says that she's going to sit down with the investigators again. And one of the uh, police officers, like right off the bat, is like, hey, we are here because... You want to talk to us. Mm. You know of all of your rights with your attorney. And you, you know, just saying it very clearly, like, you are here on your own free will because you want to talk to us. And she just lays it all all out there. She says that she called Phil after receiving the second letter. So this must have been the 9.30 p.m. phone calls. And... Sorry, so these must have been the 9.30 p.m. phone calls, and he wanted to meet and discuss the kids. So they kind of talked about that they would meet at the park where they used to meet when he was married to Melina. 
and she had brought Amy and the 22 with her for protection. The two women, Amy and April, had arrived at the park first, and they decided that Amy would hang back hidden in the truck, mostly because April did not want to have to explain their relationship. Oh, so it was newer. No, they had been together for three years. The girls? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he was kind of in Florida for... A while. A while. Okay. And she didn't want to explain why she was there. Who she was. Who she was. Okay. The context of their relationship. She didn't think that it would go over well. And so they get there. She's out of the truck. Phil shows up. And claims that as they're standing there talking, that he pretty much grabs her and says, you're not going to keep my kids from me, you bitch. Mm. And starts, they have like a physical altercation. Oh, he grabs her hair and then says that Amy then jumps out of the truck and begins stabbing Phil. Oh. Amy then allegedly yelled for April to go to the truck and get the gun that they had brought and when April came back with the gun, as she was handing it off to Amy, while they were both holding it, Ugh. the gun went off. No way. Accidentally. I mean, possible, but that's a story. Possible, but that's a long far-fetched. Shot. Yeah. It's a long shot, for sure. So she said that that they just, they freaked out. They took the cash from his wallet. They wanted to stage it to look like a robbery. They took his cell phone. And I don't, like, that had to have just been in a moment of, like, complete panic because I don't know why you would take the phone. Right. What's the, maybe because they wanted to burn it to hopefully not see their incoming calls coming in. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. But like, it's not like this is in the 80s. Like phone calls are so, and I I don't know, maybe they were traceable like this in the 80s, but phone calls are so traceable. Like, yeah, they're there no matter what you do with the phone. They're connected to the number. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the only reason I can think of why they would have taken his cell like phone. Just the panic. Just the panic. Yeah. We got to grab and go. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, you know. So they put the phone, their bloody clothing, and a knife in a bag, and they set it on fire on the highway on their way home. And then they threw the gun out of the truck on the way home. The gun had never been recovered. Oh. I don't believe. Okay. Nothing that I could find said that they found it at any point in time. And then April says the next day she was kind of freaking out because they had burned all these items and just let them sit on the side of the highway and didn't really know to what extent they had fully burned, you know, and Mm -hmm. didn't want this evidence laying out there. So she goes and gets those items and she brings them back to the house. Oh, so she drove out to get them. Mm -hmm. She went back the next morning and got them. And again, I shouldn't be so surprised at this point in time because they're obviously not the smartest criminals in the world, but like to them bring it back home. Right. And just let it sit there. Like. Yeah, it's a dumb move. There's a big fucking lake in Missouri. (laughs) It's called the Ozarks. 
And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other stuff that's dumped into that lake that you probably yeah. could have dumped that evidence. Or just like the, the whole travel time that you had, there's a hundred other places you could have dumped it. Again, we're not like telling you how to go with murder, but like, ugh, don't be stupid. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then she says that it was Amy's idea to report the stolen gun to the police the next morning. And she just kind of like went along with it. She thought it sounded like a great idea. No. No. And, you know, at this point in time, the investigators feel that she was consistent with everything that she was telling them, except for how the gun went off. Yeah, that's true. They're not buying the story at all that it just accidentally misfired in the exchange of hands into the temple yeah no that doesn't match up so amy comes in to talk to them as well and gives her account but she tells her story just ever so slightly different she says that when phil started to get physical with april she jumped out and she does admit to stabbing him in the neck and she says i stabbed that motherfucker till he hit the ground and then i shot him in the head oh shit she just Okay. She just took the whole responsibility of Took shooting? it all. Damn, Amy. And the vet investigators are like, okay, well, April says that <laughs> she was handing you the gun and that you were both holding on to it. And it just, like, accidentally went off. And Amy's like, that's not how it happened. Oh, wow. She just, like, totally... Took it. Took it. Damn. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, if if that's not love, I don't know. Right. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I was really... I know you don't want to see someone you love go down for something they didn't do, but she was just so, like... It was me. It was me. Damn. I stabbed him until he hit the ground. I mean... And I shot him in the head. When the chips are so stacked up against you... There's only so much you can do. It, it yeah. And it's there. I mean, there's no way you're not you're not getting away with murder at this point, so I mean, that's got to be love when you're like, "Nope, it was 100% just me." It n- nothing. Yeah. Dang, that's crazy. So she she completely, you know, took responsibility. For all of that at that point. For the shooting Mm -hmm. and for the stabbing, for everything. Exactly. Yeah. So they, you know, they take this information that April's given them about, you know, Phil's abusive behavior. And this is kind of where I come into what I was saying earlier about how I feel like this case maybe ties into what we were talking about. But there are no police reports that they can find about coming out for any DV calls between oh. Phil and April or even, you know, Melina or anything like that. Melina even says that he wasn't a violent person. And they talked to a lot of women in Phil's life and nobody has anything mm. to say that Phil was a violent person except for April. Dang. And so I'm just going to kind of slightly, you know, touch on this for a second in that regard. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that somebody is a completely different person in a relationship. Mm 
and keeps that side of them hidden from everybody else in their lives. And it's a side of them that they've never shown before. Right. And so do I believe April? It's hard. It's hard. But is there a chance that maybe he was abusive in their relationship? Yeah. Maybe. In his yeah. drug and alcohol, you know, ridden oh, states. Because he was not dabbling with drugs when he was with the first Melina. With Melina. I mean, he had just like kind of like started partying and right. stuff like that with them. But that really wasn't like... And that's what the their relationship part. was around, right. based around. And see, that's where it gets tricky because just like the Sarah Boone case, it's like, who's to say this person is lying? We don't have any evidence that she's lying because we know that notoriously in DV cases, not is there always going to be a record of it. Right. Because of the situation. Exactly. Because people don't want to make a situation worse by calling the police or even like telling their friends and loved ones Mm -hmm. because there is this certain amount of, or there's sometimes like shame that comes with that. Right. And once you not, once it's been happening for a while, that shame will likely grow. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't already told someone, you're more likely to keep it in. Too. Exactly. And so I can see how, see, I, I go back and forth on this, whether it, it could be something that she completely made up to back up the story of he attacked me on mm-hmm. that night and I was afraid for my life. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that he actually did abuse her. Right. And we just don't know about it because there was no police records ever of exactly. it. Exactly. So. Or medical records. And or medical records. And one bit that I kind of keep going back to in my mind where I'm like, well, she maybe could have easily offered up some proof is when she says the that hip. he, the hip. Mm-hmm. If you had a fractured hip, you have you would have known that yeah. by going in for an x-ray and having the evidence of having yeah. gone in. And I mean, a fractured hip is also no joke. That would hurt. That would... You can't... I don't know that you could walk... I I don't don't know know how one recovers from... Yeah. Because I'm thinking it's kind of like the ribs where they can't put you in a cast and they can't... You probably just have to do some PT or stay off of it for a while while it, you know, depends on the type of fracture. Like a hairline, is it a complete separation? Exactly. But either way, if she's claiming that... Mm Mm-hmm. Then if it was diagnosed that, there would be some type of record for right. it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so that was never produced? That was never produced. Okay. She never produced any evidence of that. And then furthermore, going back to the night of the murder, you know, I mean, they talked to her like literally the next morning. And yeah. she didn't have any physical signs of having been in a physical altercation. Who knows if... If, if they did, and that part of the story is true, how long it went mm-hmm. on. She never claimed that he was punching her. She just said right. that he had grabbed her hair. But, you know, the police are kind of like, she didn't have... And grabbed her arm, right? She didn't have any defense yeah. wounds on, on her from, like, he had, like, come at her and, like, grabbed her, you know, and, like, bruising yeah. on the arms or, like, anything... Like that. So that part of the story, I think, is kind of 
also like, up for debate. I too. don't normally travel with a knife in my car. <laughs> Not normally. Um, from time to time, you will find a hatchet if we're going camping. Sure. Or but when they took off from what an hour drive away to go meet with him mm-hmm. with a gun in the car, I kind of understand. Well, sorry, they didn't make an hour drive that night. They decided it was a good night for them to. Amy actually says this, that it was a good night for them to meet up with him because they were actually in town. Oh. So they were maybe, let's just, let's just say like 10 minutes away or something like that. Oh, so when they, the 930 call was like, oh, we're at, we're here. We're here. Let's meet up. Let's talk about the kids. Okay. See, I thought 9 to 1030 was Mm -mm. like that one hour. So even more. Why why did you have a knife in your car? Exactly. You that premeditation is is yes. coming is like dwindling away. And a gun. Right. Well, I mean the gun, I mean, we both, you know, we know that guns we can carry, we right. can whatever. Um I mean, a 22 is not like a self-defense type of gun either. Right. But what gets me is the knife. Yeah, for sure. The knife. Yeah. You don't travel. Who did you jump out of the car like a trunk monkey? Like, just <laughs> <laughs> and just start stabbing him? Yeah. Ah, see, I, be- I believe to a certain extent that maybe they did start arguing. Because at this point, you're talking about your kids. And, you know, he's probably saying like, Hey, I've sent you two nice letters, like mm-hmm. saying very detailed, like I am doing better with my life. I've got my shit together. I want to see my kids. I love them. I want to spend time with them. I'm paying you child support. Right. And at this point, you know, I think the bad blood and I don't know how exactly child support works. I know a little bit of it. And I think there has to be someone who complains mm-hmm. about the amount that's overdue in order for it to escalate to jail time. Gotcha. Because I've seen through my job child support liens that are so huge that I'm like, you will never financially recover from this. But, you know, those there's not a set amount that would send you to jail. I think there has to be a complainant, complainant mm-hmm. that will ask the judge, hey, they're not paying their child support. Right. Let's make this right by sending them to jail. Yeah. I mean, I know people that have never paid. once yeah. paid their child support. So I think maybe if that's the case, and I don't know if that's the case or it's different state by state, but if April complained to the judge to have that done and that's why he ended up going to jail, right, because of the the past child support – that's probably where the bad blood started as far as like her not wanting him to be part of the kids' lives, mm-hmm. um, which is just sad. Yeah. Because um, we know why he wasn't paying child support, right? He didn't have his shit together. Exactly. But once he did, he did because he loves his kids. And I I think Amy, especially since they've been together for so long, probably had something, you know, was that little... The Birdie devil on the ear. shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. 
saying this is you're doing right mm-hmm. send them to fucking jail mm-hmm. and no don't let him near the kids exactly whichever way we see it that is someone who is now part of the kids lives too yes and is probably influencing april into making decisions about the kids lives a hundred percent yeah so really intense but april and amy both ended up pleading out to second degree oh, murder okay it didn't go to a trial they just immediately pled out and amy was served 15 years in prison that was her sentence and she's actually up for parole later this year wow and then April got 20 years, and she'll be up for parole in uh, 2025. April got 20? 20. Whoa. Why'd she get more? I have no wow. idea. I don't know if they thought that maybe there was more premeditation done on mm, her part. Like the calling. Mm-hmm. The calling, the, the setting it up, all of that. Getting rid of evidence, maybe? Getting rid of evidence, probably. Damn. So even though Amy stepped up and said that she... That probably saved her some years. I I would assume so. Like that alone? And a lot of family members are looking at April being like, well, why didn't she get more? And it's like, well, okay, yeah, I get that the bad blood was with her, Mm -hmm. but... From what we're being told, and again, it's a situation we'll only ever know their side of the story. She wasn't necessarily the one that killed him. Right. She arranged the meat. Right. And was the bait. Yeah. Essentially. So. I'm so glad the kids weren't there. Oh, God, yeah. God. Jesus. Yeah. So now five kids are without their father. That's mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah. Ugh. So she's up for parole soon. Yeah, Amy at the end of this year and then April in 2025. Dang. So that's the story of Philip Taylor, Philip Taylor. and his baby mama drama. <laughs> for real. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, great case. Thanks, Bray. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for sticking this one out. Um, great case by Bree. If you haven't already, go follow us and wherever you are listening to your podcast or go leave a review on Apple iTunes. That helps us be discovered um, for new people and have other listeners to you brought over here. So thank you again and bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>